Well, good morning. We are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And what we saw last week <clears throat> was this idea that there is no new rebellion. Uh, there's no new rebellion, there's no new king, and there's no new principle. And the basic idea is that the same rebellion that Israel displayed when they rejected God as their king and asked for a human king is no different than the rebellion that we express when we look at the word of God, when we look at what it says, we read it, we hear it, we understand it, and yet at the exact same time we walk away and we say, that has no authority over me. That's the exact same uh, rebellion that was present in the people of Israel. But what we saw was also that there's no new king. So even though God granted them their wish that they would have a human king who would rule over them, even against God's desire to a degree, and even to Samuel's, uh, his, his, his counsel was, don't, you don't want a king. But then God said to Samuel, don't worry, Samuel, they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. And so we saw, though, even in that, they didn't actually get a new king. The same king that had already been reigning over them is the same king that would continue to reign is the same king that's reigning today. Because you remember what happened? Samuel stood before the people and he says, If you and your king obey the Lord and fear him, it will go well with you. But if not, if you continue to do wickedly, continue to do evil, you and your king will be swept away. So the same principle was in place that God said, you will love, fear, and obey me. Even if you've got someone sitting on a throne somewhere, I don't care. I'm still king, and he's still king today. And then third, we looked at this idea that there's no new principle, that what we need in the gospel message brings to us as well is it brings us comfort, it brings us admonishment, and it brings us exhortation, comfort, in that when we have sinned, when we have done wrong, God comforts us that there is healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen. And when we come to the cross, when we come to Jesus, absolutely crushed under the weight of our sin, we can expect comfort and mercy there. Yet, there's the reality of how sinful our sins are. We need to understand them. We need to feel the burn of them. We need to feel the poison. We need to feel the sting of them so that the next time we're faced with the same temptation, we say, man, I remember. I remember how sick that made me. And then we follow it up with this third stop, this idea of exhortation. Is that exactly what Samuel did? He said, do not fear, but what you have done is evil. Yet now go from here and obey God. Amen. And that's exactly what we tell everybody else. Find comfort and mercy in Christ. Recognize the depravity of your sin. But then go and live and walk in holiness. For this is pleasing to the Lord. And it is right for those who call themselves children of God. That's what we saw last week. This week we are in chapter 15. And it's a, it's a tough place to be. Because what we actually see now is that Saul is going to be rejected. And it's a sobering narrative as we watch a man with so much potential uh, come to ruin over sinful belief that he could disobey God and just continue on. 
He, he believed that he could just disobey God as long as he offered some sacrifice to him. And I encourage you to let that sting you this morning. Do we believe that we can do whatever we want to as long as we offer God a little sacrifice? That's what happened to King Saul when he was rejected. It happened more than once. The first time, he offered an illegal sacrifice, and, and, and this didn't sit well. He wasn't waiting for Samuel. He says, I'm going to do it. That was presumptuous of him. But then, later on, what we're going to see right now is God told him to do something, and he didn't do it, and he thought he was okay as long as he offered some back to God. Very, very messy place to be. So there's so much potential with Saul, yet he's rejected, and we've got to be warned by Scripture today. Um, and I want to take the doctrine uh, before us, and I want to plainly unpack it for you so that we can see that the Word of God still speaks and challenges us and encourages us even today. This was written to a 10th century BC audience, but it is, is ap absolutely applicable to us today as well as a 21st century audience. So the major doctrine that I want to defend today is that there is nothing to give to God but our rebellion. There is nothing to give to God but our rebellion. And you may think that's kind of a weird thing to say, but that's exactly what we are called to do. If you think of what the opposite of rebellion is, it's obedience. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. God is not interested in your sacrifice. He's not interested in your money. He's not interested in your talents. He's not interested in your time. If you haven't given him your rebellion, do you get that? Everything else is meaningless if you hold on to rebellion and then say, I can add this little thing here on the side and then I'll appease God. It means nothing. So if you will, stand with me. We will jump into our scripture. But I want to put one thought up on the screen just as we get into our word this morning. Do you see yourself as a rebel pardoned by the mercy and grace of God? And I know that this is not a popular thing to say today. Come, you rebels, and repent. I know that that's, that sounds like the preachers of old. That's okay. I'm, I'm inspired by them. But it's true. We have to start with this idea that we were rebels, but that's not the end of the story. We are pardoned by the mercy and grace of God. Amen. So good. Now I'm going to read all of chapter 15, and I hope that whoever you have in your pulpit whoever they are, that they give priority to the word of God. Because you're not here to simply hear a man's thoughts. You're here to hear the word exposited. So as we read all of this, I'm going to watch my time dwindle, but I think it's worth it. Chapter 15 for Samuel. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them and told them 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites 
And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Hevelah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fattened cows and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul, come to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, you are not, he says, Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on mission and said, Go, devote to destruction to sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of your Lord and he has also rejected you from being king. So all said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may, may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or, or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, and may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully, Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As the sword, as your sword has made women childless, 
so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in, in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is a lot there, and it is so tough. There's words that we hear that we literally say, this cannot be true. How could God tell people to go and utterly wipe out another people? This is tough to hear. I want to challenge you. When you hear the word of the Lord and it's uncomforting, when it challenges your presuppositions, let it sting you. Because his ways are not our ways. And if you're tempted to think that the Old Testament God is a different than a different God than the New Testament, do not forget that Christ will come with a sword from his mouth and slay all who oppose him. The judgment of the Lord is right. And if we are tempted to judge the Lord, then we are assuming that we have information he is lacking. We have an understanding of morality and ethics that is greater than he and that therefore we judge him according to that. Who are we? So we first have to look at the scripture and say, Lord, we don't understand. But what we do understand is when you speak, we are to obey. Yes. Trusting that you are good. But then here we are. Such a, such a sobering passage that Saul says, come with me. And Samuel says, no. No. I will not, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you. Do you realize that there really is a point in life where God can say, this is it, there's nothing left. There will come a time where every person will stand before the king of kings, and either you're found in Christ or you're found ready to perish. So here we are. We have two stops to make. The nature of rebellion and the nature of obedience. So you see it says, Saul said to him, Blessed be to you the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Verse 13. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Samuel comes up and Saul's like, So good to see you. Blessed, be you the Lord to, uh, blessed are you to the Lord. Basically like saying, Come look at all the good things I've done. I did everything I was supposed to do. It's like a proud child who's done half the work, and, but they want to show you the whole thing, right? And you're like, hmm, that window doesn't quite look clean. I see the streak mark still on it, but I see those nine square inches that you did clean. Good job, right? It's, always, it's, it's that kind of concept. It's like, I'm, 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 good. I'm glad to see you, someone that can come and be blessed by my work, for I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what? What? What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Do you see that? It's, it's, this, it's this truth that we still recognize today that the human heart, um, how, how, how it can be so deceitful. And it can deceive itself. It's, it's, like, it's like Saul is literally saying, I have done well. Like he really thinks he's done well. And here's Samuel thinking, how can you think you've done well? Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? 
Can you imagine the scene? Like they're out there and they've, they've I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of sheep. I don't know. They just, they just wiped out a whole bunch of people. Cities, villages, like, I don't know. But it probably wasn't like 10 or 12 or 20. I don't think it was even 50 or 100. I think it was a lot. It's not like one little farmer. They didn't go, and, they didn't go sack some farmhouse. Do you get that? So imagine Saul walking with his people back. I don't know exactly how it all looked. But I imagine hundreds, maybe thousands of sheep and oxen and all the other best stuff. It's like, did you take these sheep into war with you? Right, could you imagine that? Like, gather up all the oxen and all the sheep. We're going, boys. Like, what? You didn't bring them with you, Saul. So I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I hear something that testifies against you. There's clear evidence that contradicts your story, my friend. He says, then, then, then what is this clear evidence against you? I mean, he doesn't have to debate it with him, does he? He doesn't even have to say, well, I think that you're in the wrong. He's like, this is evident. This is like completely evident to everybody in the world. And Saul, interestingly enough, doesn't actually, um, doesn't admit his wrong even yet. Look at this. He says, and Samuel said to Saul, oh, actually, go back up. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 14, and Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep? Verse 15, Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Do you see that? Saul's convinced that he himself, that he's done what the Lord has commanded him. And he believed two lies. And two lies I want to show you because they're the same kind of things that we can believe. So one... I believe he was convinced of this lie, that going and defeating was the same as going and destroying. Do you see that? It seems like that that's exactly what Saul's like. As long as I have defeated them, that was good enough. And he, and he, and he confuses the matter. Now, was the message clear? Yes. The message was clear. So, you know, sometimes when employees do things that they shouldn't do or they're not performing like they should, you can do a performance analysis and figure out what's the root cause of this. Is this because they haven't had enough training? Is it because they don't really understand? Do we need more documentation? Do we need more time to onboard them? You can figure out all those things. But then when you get to the end of the logic diagram and it's like, nope, they've had training, that it's been communicated, and they still didn't do it, then what are you left with? Good luck, right? Because they can't excuse themselves because they didn't understand or they weren't told. Saul here can't excuse himself because he didn't know or understand or God didn't tell him what exactly was, was expected of him. No, he confused the matter and he, he, he believed the lie that going and defeating was the same as going and destroying. And I think that he started to believe that lie because... He looked at all this spoil. He looked at all these good things and thought, how could God really want us to do this? Right? It'd be like going to a uh, Ferrari dealership and you burn the whole thing down, but you're like, but God doesn't really want me to burn all of them, right? I'll take this one and I'll drive it around to the glory of the Lord. Right? 
when everyone sees me in this nice red sports car, they will bless the Lord. (laughs) It's like, no, you only did half the job. The second lie he believed is that, that he was absolved from the action of his people, even though he, as their leader, knew that what they were doing was disobedience. He passes the buck, doesn't he? Blame shifting. Say, well, it was them. As if that absolves him. What kind of a leader does that? That's a pretty weak leader, isn't it? If, if you're not willing to take it on the chin for what you know you've done wrong, and you pass it on to other people, that is a sign that you are a weak leader. So these people, if they were in their right mind, should have looked at Saul and said, What? We did what you told us to do. You're the boss. So he can't believe this lie truly. I mean, it seems he does, but maybe this is just what he throws out. But he can't think it's going to work because it's not true. He is not absolved from the actions of the people of whom he is over. And that's exactly what Saul says. He, uh, Samuel says to, to Saul, he, he says, you know, you think you're a little thing, but that has not God set you over all of the people of Israel? And this is, this is such an interesting thing that he's, he's not letting him get, all, get away with it, right? And so then also, what about this issue of King Agag who stands before Samuel when clearly it's Saul who let him live, right? So, okay, do, do what you will with the sheep and all the other stuff. What about this guy who's standing right here? Was that, you're the king. Was that not your job to take this guy out? Because what are you going to do with him? You're going to offer him as a sacrifice? What are you going to do? We don't know. We have no idea what he was thinking. But we know how the story ends. And, and um, I don't think a lot of people would have voted for Samuel uh, to run for office. Because his solution to the problem was pretty hardcore, wasn't it? All right, someone give me a sword, and I'm going to hack this guy to pieces. Why? Because you didn't do the job, Saul. Let me come up and do the job for you. Some brutal warfare, brutal stuff back then. There's brutal stuff that happens in the world today. But Samuel says, far be it from me to let this go like this. So Samuel, Samuel steps up and does the job. I can't even imagine what that was like. And, and, and it's been said before, if you made a movie of the Bible, like truly, it would be rated R. It would be gruesome. There's some crazy stuff in here. This is for adults, right? It's for children as well, but there's sections in here that you just think, my goodness, Lord. But it's right, and it's his word. So I want to show you a couple of things that I believe are present in this passage. And I want to put it on the screen. that All sin follows the same pattern, and it's the same pattern that Saul has followed here. First, we presume. When we presume, it means that we fail to observe the limits of what is permitted and appropriate before God. And and, and in this, we can't say, oh, we were ignorant of it. Ignorance is no excuse. And so when we presume upon the Lord, we are literally saying, I don't care where the limits are. I don't care what's appropriate. I don't care where the boundaries are. I'm going to presume upon them. I'm going to go further than I should go. And we could say, well, I didn't know. But it isn't, it is, doesn't the word say that even those who have the law, do not have the law yet keep the law? Right? What, there's an interesting relationship there, isn't there? 
Do you think there's a Romans 1? So it's not a matter of whether or not you've got the full story or not. God has written on our hearts what is right and wrong. And this testifies either for or against us when our actions are weighed. So what we have to recognize is that we fail to observe the limits of what is permitted and appropriate before God. When we do that, we are presuming. And that's what Saul did. Two, we rebel. And when we think of rebellion, this is an outright defiance and resistance to God's authority over us. You know, even when we know what is appropriate, we still sin. That's rebellion. Rebellion is saying, I know what you've told me to do. I have it clearly in my mind. I understand it, and I'm not going to do it. That is rebellion. Have you, have you experienced both of those types of sin where, you're, where you're, you've sinned, but you really hadn't stopped and thought about really how bad it is and what you're actually doing? Many of us have done that, right? Because we're sinful. You get in the flow of sin, and you just sin. You're not stopping and thinking about everything you've ever done. And so thank God that it isn't a matter of us confessing every sin we've ever done before we're forgiven because you would not be able to keep up. Yet there are times when you know what you should do and what you shouldn't do and you still rebel. When God says don't do this, and it's clear, right? So um, I shouldn't lie or cheat or steal or commit adultery or murder and I choose to do those things, that is rebellion. Plain and simple. When I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do, when God says, give a couple dollars to this person, hey, pay this one's rent, hey, give some food to this person, go share the gospel with that person, be a friend of that person, repent, right? I mean, forgive someone who's, who's repenting of their sins, and you say, no. Not, I know I should do it, but I'm not going to. The sin of rebellion is still the same in those moments. So we presume, we rebel, and then I think at the heart of this is we reject. A rejection is of God's word and God's leadership. You know, ultimately all sin is a rejection of God and his word. I believe that. And this is exactly what Saul is accused of, verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And this is a warning. Sin makes a man comfortable to the devil. I took a couple of notes on this as I was studying, getting ready for this sermon, and I, I, I think this is, this is really scary stuff, and I, I, it makes me uncomfortable, and I hope it makes you uncomfortable for a good end. Um, I'm just going to read you a couple things I wrote down. When we rebel against God, we are being like the devil. And we are actually opposing Christ who is set on destroying the kingdom of the devil, which is darkness and death. You know, you know that's what the devil is about. He's about opposing the work of Christ. And just imagine that you've got, you've got kids and you're, you're a parent and you say, this is what I want for you and this is good for you obey and it'll go well and then some other adult comes into their life maybe a teacher at school or a teacher at Sunday school in church and they start whispering little things in their ears right and you're driving home and your kid starts talking about how they're not going to do what you say but they're going to listen to their new friend the adult John Doe because they're smarter than you 
better than you, richer than you, whatever else, these things. What would you think? Put a turn around, we're going to find this person, right? What? But is that not exactly what we do to God? God says, I love you. I want what's best for you. I've set you here in safety as you walk in obedience. But there's another who seeks to destroy you. And when we listen to his voice, we are literally telling our father who loves us that we don't want to go with him. We want to go with the devil. We want to be like him. We admire him. That is such a sick place to live, but that's what we do. The second idea that I was wrestling through is to live in sin and rebellion is to live in comfort with Satan. He is there with you, encouraging you to go further, delighting in your rebellion, for he hates the same God you are rejecting and whose authority you are snubbing. The devil loves this and proudly wraps his arms around you and welcomes you into his home, hoping you will stay, moving into one of his rooms in his house. I believe that. When we walk in open rebellion, that's the image that I think we should have, is to live in rebellion, is to live in comfort with Satan, who encourages you to go further, and he hates the same God you are rejecting in that moment. Have you ever thought about that? When we live in open sin, that's exactly what we're doing. It's like, I know what neighborhood I'm in. I'm in the devil's hood. And you know what? I think I'll stay here. Not only that, I think I'll move into his house. He's probably got a spare room. And he'll coach me, comfort me, encourage me. That's what we do. Metaphorically speaking, right? That's nowhere in the Bible. This is Rob just telling you thoughts that I think look pretty close to reality. Let us be terrified of that. And what do you see happen to Saul later? God sends an evil spirit to torment him. His days are not comfort. His days are terror. And he ends up dying. It's just, it's just not, it's a mess, right? But the last five minutes that I have, I want to talk about what obedience is. I think obedience is an act of faith. I mean, we'll talk about that a little more in just a second. But what I've set out is to encourage you to see the truth that there is nothing to give God but your rebellion. So in light of rebellion, the opposite is obedience. And this is what verse 22 says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And you see that Saul did not obey the command of God. Um, He considered himself to be as good as obedient if from his disobedience a sacrifice is offered. That's like showing up to church and saying, I'm going to live in sin however I want to. I'm going to do whatever I want to as long as I put $10 in or $20 in or $100 in, $1,000. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how much. That's the idea that you can offer sacrifices to God and that somehow absolves you from the rest of it. But God has called us to obedience. He, he wants our hearts. He doesn't want our actions in that sense to offer a sacrifice, to say, I'm sacrificing for you, Lord. Isn't this good enough? He says, no, I don't care about that. I care about you. I care about your heart. Your obedience is far better. He says, to listen is better than the fat of rams. You know, the fat of the rams in that old sacrificial system was a sweet, fragrant thing, a burning to them. And it was, it was, there was offerings that were offered to God that were complete, whole offerings, burnt offerings, and no one touched any of it. And it wasn't right for you to mess with that because it belonged to the Lord. Right. You know what? Also, 
every one of these people belong to the Lord. So them to say that they're going to offer these animals as a sacrifice to God is a false presumption in one way very clearly, that they weren't theirs in the first place. You can't offer what isn't yours. God isn't interested in you offering something that doesn't belong to you. And what the Hebrew actually gets into is these people were supposed to be devoted as a burnt offering to total destruction. And that's the image of a burnt offering who not even the priests were supposed to touch or take from. But it was to be burnt up wholly to the Lord. You can't offer to the Lord what already belongs to him. Do you get that? So false premise in our heads is that we can give God a little something. Really what we're doing is we're only giving back what he's already given to us. And if we think that sacrifice absolves us from obedience, we're missing it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So I want to go through a couple of tests real quick for us. I know this has been a heavy word this morning, but this is the Bible and you have to. You have to. You have to preach the whole counsel of God. So listen to these questions. Quick test. How often do you come to God's word, read it, read what it says, and then walk away telling yourself, this is exactly what you already do? I want to push on you a little bit. If that's your habit, if that's my habit, that's not a good place to be. Where you come to the word and say, affirm me word, affirm me Bible, to tell me that what I'm doing is already exactly what I should be doing and there's no room for any further sanctification. If you come to the word to look at it and say, yep, so glad I showed up and read that today to be affirmed that I have nothing left to gain as far as growth in holiness. That's a bad thing for us to do, okay? Two, how often do you come to church and hear the word preached yet leave to live a life unchanged by what you have heard? I'm convicted of the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that he knew what it was like to be in the church but not in Christ. Don't be like that. Don't be in the church but not in Christ. Sitting here won't save you. Three, do you know what it is to offer your money and time to service to God yet refuse to forgive someone in the church who has offended you? That last one stings, right? Because that's the stuff we're talking about. We're not talking about big monument building stuff. We're talking about loving one another as First John says. You, you claim to have part with God. You claim to love God, yet you hate your brother. You're a liar. That can't be in the Bible. Yeah, it is. So we have to wrestle through this. Because when we start to look at those kinds of things, if we can offer some time, some, some money, some talent, some whatever else, yet refuse to forgive someone in the church who has offended us, we are practically offering a sacrifice to God, yet while walking in disobedience. Do you see that? I know we're having fun. I'm sorry. I'm going to put one last thing on the screen, then I'm going to have you turn to one other passage. You know the beauty of only having one service here is I can go longer. I'm 11 seconds over, and I don't care. <laughs> Obedience is active trusting and submitting to our Heavenly Father, who loves us and has promised to work all things for our good and for his glory. So this is what I want us to, to, to think of, is how do you trust God? Well, you've got to know his word. 
because there you will see his goodness and his power. We've got to continue in daily prayer and fellowship with Christ, enjoying his tenderness and mercy and love flowing from the Father through the Son whom he sent for your salvation. And does it not grow trust in God? Does it not grow in faithful biblical community? What we're doing right now where the saints are equipped and built up in love and where you can be encouraged by hearing of the goodness and faithfulness of God in the lives of your brothers and sisters. And God is worthy of our complete obedience. May we pray for daily and may we strive to see and live for his glory. That's what we are supposed to do. And so today I call you to obey the gospel, which means turning from the power of Satan and darkness to the power of God and turning to the light. And that's not just a one-time event that is part of what we will do for the rest of our Christian lives. To obey the gospel is one thing, but we are to obey the word for the rest of our lives. So I challenge you with that this morning. And then I want to encourage you to go to a little book in the back of the Bible. It's a book of Hebrews. And I actually saw this as um, I get to help a little bit with TU, BCM has a, a really cool thing where they let students teach the word of God to other students. And so I get to help in um, training them and some of that and just offering a little bit of help here and there. But I'm encouraged by them every time I go and I'm like, oh. so I wanna share with you one of the things that I saw last Tuesday at TU. And I've been sharing it with everybody since. So I just told you that what you have to give to God is for your rebellion. And you may think, well, how do I do that? That's really hard. Yeah, it is. But you can't do it. So take a look. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 23. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Do you see this? They're walking in obedience to God by faith, even though what they did was punishable by death. But they did it by faith. But then check this out, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I don't encourage you to write in your Bibles, but if you were to, highlight that one. <laughs> I'll turn away. But look at that. How did Moses do it? How did he choose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? How did he do it? By faith. Even your obedience will be submerged in faith. For we can't even obey if we're not assisted. So with that, I encourage you to stand with me as we close our time together this morning. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us even when we are unfaithful. God, I, I pray this morning that you help us to see that to obey God is to display our trust and love for you. 
thanking you indeed for your mercy towards us rebels. Father, may we truly believe that there's nothing to give to you but our rebellion. You're not interested in our time, our talents, our money, our opinions, anything else that we would offer as a sacrifice while at the same time we hold on to our rebellion, rejecting you and your word. Father, break our hearts if that is how we come to you. And may we see obedience is active trusting and submitting to you, our Heavenly Father who loves us. God, let us see that the soul has done nothing that we have not also done in our hearts. When we have presumed, when we have rebelled, and when we have rejected, yet you have shown us mercy to which we respond in obedience. First to the gospel, and then continually to your word, Father, the rest of our lives. And I pray this morning that you exalt yourself, God, May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And by your spirit, may we forever live. In Jesus' name. So this morning, if your heart is pressed by the Lord, pray to him, meet with him right now. God desires that none should perish, but that all should repent and come to Christ for forgiveness. You are a believer this morning. I do ask you to consider the ways in which there may be rebellion that resides in your heart that you're not continually warring with. And I would encourage you to pray that God would show you what those things are, convict you of that sin, because you know what? It's a mercy of God that we be convicted of our sins, to stop walking in them, and to turn with Christ. We sang that this morning, didn't we? It's better your way. Pray that you would truly believe that this week. Let's continue to worship.